five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Thursday morning? Transfer portal, sugar bowl, roster management. You got early signing period coming up in a couple of weeks. There's just nothing going on in the college football world, Jimmy. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why it's sort of a great month. I mean, in terms of like, put it this way. I mean, no one else is going to care about this but me, but you know, I have this routine. I'm a person of routine, right? Well, my routine changes now because now I need to know the the college football news. So like, personally, I'm going to on three for real. I go to on three Twitter. That's the first place I go to once an hour. I go to on three's Twitter feed. That's where our national news desk, uh, which has, is privy to every news morsel all over the country. That's where they immediately dump the news is that on three Twitter account. I am I bet I am refreshing and relooking at that tweet, that that Twitter account every hour all day long right now, just to see what's the latest in, in the portal, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, and there is a ton going on right now with the transfer portal. Like, it, and we said this, um, I guess it was last week uh, when we recorded um, yeah. that this was to be expected. People needed to expect that the transfer portal was going to be crazy. Uh, we're doing a mailbag today. We're going to be answering some questions, and some of those are about the transfer portal, both incoming and outgoing, and we'll certainly try to answer all of those questions. Um, the latest, though, that just broke, we started a little bit late on this podcast, was that Tanner Bowles, according to KSR, is heading to Kentucky. So the former Alabama offensive lineman showed a lot of versatility, man. I think he could play all five positions. You know, he can play center, guard, or tackle. He's uh, heading to the SEC East. So he's sticking around in the SEC, but heading over to the East. Jimmy, what do you think about it? I love it. First of all, I'm a big fan of Tanner for a couple of reasons. Number one, what a super kid. He's always been great grades, never a lick of trouble, never complained that he wasn't playing, just worked hard. Uh, and then on the field, he never really got to show us what he has, never really playing with the ones, Clint, but he did play tackle guard and center in his time at Alabama, which shows tremendous positional versatility had he stayed I wouldn't have projected him to be a starter but he would have been at this age I think an excellent two because of the positional versatility you know you could plug him in where, where, where he needed him you know in case you know injuries happened and you did need a guy in game at any of the spots uh he's from Kentucky uh can't help but assume that coach Wolford our current offensive line coach who came from Kentucky helped Tanner uh, get to Kentucky with the recommendation saying, hey, I, I coached there and I coached in, in Tuscaloosa, and trust me, this guy can play for you and help you. Uh, so I, I think it's a great result because good program. He's going to continue to play for a winning SEC team. Uh, we'll see him play because we watch all the SEC games. Uh, good chance, better chance he'll be in the starting lineup there than at Alabama. And uh, let's, not, uh, let's not forget this ever uh, important, a University of Alabama graduate. Tanner Bowles yeah I would say he's like the second team version of Barrett Jones right yeah uh, yeah I mean you're talking about a guy who was a little bit undersized you know 6'5 like 293 Barrett Jones was in that same kind of size range but just had the the positional flexibility where you can plug him in anywhere now granted the difference is is Barrett Jones did it at an all-american level 
Tanner Bowles is more of like I said, the backup version of that. But at the same time, that could be valuable if you needed him in a pinch. Having that available certainly would have helped. But he's he's far from the only loss that Alabama has suffered, whether it be who we're expecting in graduation or, or through graduation or through the transfer portal. You've got JV and Cohen's choosing to leave through the portal, uh, Damian George, Tommy Brockermeyer, Tanner Bowles. You've got Tyler Steen, who is a senior. You've got Emil Ikior Jr., who's a senior. You've got Darian Dalcourt, who's a senior. So Alabama had 15 offensive linemen on its roster this season. As of right now, now there could be some guys, maybe a senior elects to return or something, but as of right now, it's very possible, likely even, that over half of those are, is going to be gone. Uh, that's quite a bit of turnover for one position, especially when you're talking, I mean, if it was one out of three quarterbacks or two out of four quarterbacks, I mean, that would still be significant, but it's still only two guys that are transferring. Right now you've got eight who are either leaving or transferring. So we've got a question about the offensive line, a couple actually, and so I'll go ahead and read those and we'll just jump right into the mailbag and talk about this a little bit. The first one is from Justin Waldrop, and he asked, with the offensive line running low with possible departures due to draft slash out of eligibility slash transfer portal, my question, is this Wolford and Bama's way of cleaning house slash revamping that particular room, or is this just part of the craziness going on, or am I overthinking this? And then as the tide rolls, also asked, hey, Clint, with all the outgoing OL transfers, who do you think is best situated to fill the two vacant spots, starting spots in 2023? Still feel like we have a really strong core with McLaughlin, Booker, and Latham. So, Jimmy, what do you think? Uh, I think that first question is a really good question, and I'm not uh, I'm not dodging it in any way when I'm saying that the answer is both. Uh, I, I don't think it's a cleaning out. Because to me, a cleaning out implies that Saban and Wolford went to these guys and said, we want you out of here. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that happened in any of those cases. But as Andrew Bone has reported on our site, uh, and as we have talked about on the site, on the message board, I think it's most likely in all of the transfer portal cases, Clint, a situation where all of those kids wanted to leave and they weren't talked out of it, you know, when a kid comes to you and says, look, I'm thinking about going in the portal, there's a couple of different ways to handle it, depending on what, what his standing is with you. You know, is this a kid that you're reluctantly say, oh, all right. Or is this a kid you're like, oh, thank goodness, go, please, please do. Or is it a kid you beg to stay? All I'm saying is the, these were not kids they begged to stay. I mean, I, that's one thing I'm adamant about. No, there was no scene. There was no dramatic scene at Bryant Hall with Coach Saban holding a boom box over his head and playing a Peter Gabriel song saying, you know, please, please don't dump us. No, no, no. This, this These are kids that wanted to leave that were not talked out of it. Uh, so do you call that cleaning house? I don't, but it's sort of the same thing, right? I mean, uh, so in that sense, no one is leaving that I think uh, the coaches really felt needed to be a first team player at Alabama next season. No one. Uh, now, it's left Alabama in a spot. You, you, you laid it out there perfectly. In my mind, there's seven returning guys right now, uh, just seven. Uh, you need 15 probably. Now you got five coming in via the recruiting class so far, five kids committed to us that we believe will stick. 
So that's seven plus five. That's 12. Uh, are you going to sign three kids out of the portal for one position? That doesn't sound right. Uh, but probably two, probably two. And man, that's, that's a change. I wouldn't have thought that a month ago, but now I feel like it's almost necessary. And uh, as far as the second question goes real quickly, because I know you have a lot to say about this too, but uh, today as we sit here uh, and, and again, Clint, when we do the show next week, I hope we can do another show next week and we're asked the same question. My answer might look different next week, but today I think the starting offensive line next year looks to me like uh, uh, J.C. Latham at left tackle, uh, Tyler Booker at left guard, uh, Seth McLaughlin at center, uh, Elijah Pritchett at either right guard or right tackle, and a transfer portal dude as the fifth guy, whoever that happens to be. Uh, And if I'm wrong, then I'll, I'll throw in Terrence Ferguson there as the fifth guy. Uh, in terms of guys that are on the roster right now. But my feeling is transfer portal dude uh, would be the fifth starter. We're just not yet uh, knowing who that might be. Yeah, I think that second question pretty much laid it out. I would say that that's really the only way to look at it right now. Doesn't mean that things can't change. You know, they could bring in some kind of stud at left tackle or something and keep J.C. Latham at right tackle. Are there any stud left tackles out there in the portal right now? No, none that that I've seen. Uh, Jeremiah Byers, who is a, a tackle for UTEP, he's one of my, my favorite players in the portal. To me, he's this year's Osiris Torrance, who was at Louisiana last year, followed Billy Napier to Florida. After he took that job, became you know one of the better guards in the SEC and maybe in the country. Uh, he was already one of the best guards in the, in the country um, going in, but he continued that high-level of play despite the fact that he had to go up in competition. I think Byers can be similar to that. He's a right tackle or been a right tackle for UTEP. Very athletic guy. At you know, I think he's like 6'4", 6'5", around 330 pounds, so he's fitting that kind of size element that Alabama's really wanting to kind of move to. But I also think that Byers is outstanding in pass protection. One of the most efficient pass blockers that I've seen in college, regardless of level, not saying that he's on Alabama's radar or that Alabama's going to go after him, but when you think, hey, maybe Elijah Pritchett at right guard, and maybe you go get a, a star stud right tackle and move J.C. Latham to left tackle, I don't think that that would be bad at all. And, and so that would be one potential guy that I would look at. But as of right now, based off of the current people on the roster, you have to assume the four guy or the yeah the four guys you talked about with. J.C. Latham at left tackle, Tyler Booker at left guard, Seth McLaughlin at center, Terrence Ferguson at right guard, or maybe you could flip Booker and, and Ferguson and Ferguson could play on the left side if you wanted him to. If that's where you're moving Latham and you feel like you'd be more comfortable playing with a more established player. Um, on the, right. And then you could have Elijah Pritchett, who I'm extremely high on at right tackle. And I know the coaching staff is high on him too. A very right. physical player, missed a lot of this season due to a torn peck in the offseason. And he's just now starting to get up to speed. But I know the coaching staff loves him. And and he's a former borderline five-star talent. So I uh, certainly think that's a possibility. As far as the cleaning out or cleaning house, I do think that there's a, there's a shift in mentality. I think Alabama really wants to the, – the, the energy and the effort and the love of just football – that Tyler Booker brought to the table this year. I think Alabama sees that and they want more of that. 
And so they're trying to figure out how do we get more dogs? I mean, I guess that's what everybody refers to him as nowadays. And Tyler Booker's a dog. And, and J.C. Latham's a dog. And I think Pritchett can be that next guy uh, who can fall right in line with that mentality and get back to just, you know, one to dominate people. I feel like Alabama's offensive line in 2019 and 2020 really did a good job of just wanting to manhandle people. Not everybody on there was just this mean style, you know, nasty style of player. Evan Neal wasn't really nasty to me. He was just so much more physically imposing over everybody he went against that he still found a way to dominate, but he didn't he didn't play with the same edge or mentality as a Jedrick Wills. So you can get that. Um, you don't have to have all five of your starters be that kind of have that kind of mentality. You need to have two or three at least. And then you need to have talent at the other spots, guys who can really get the job done. And I think that Alabama has a chance to, you know, have a good offensive line. I think the, the class that they're bringing in, while they're not highly recruited or highly rated, really bring a lot of that edge, a lot of that mentality. And sometimes it's, it's better to have, you know, the three-star guys, Jimmy, because those are the guys who just are, are pissed off at the world. And then they they play with this nastiness and this physical style of football that you, that you love. So, and Alabama has done a very good job. Anthony Steen, um, Chance Warmack, they've done a really good job of bringing in those lower-rated players in the past with that edge and turning them into really good players. And I think with Eric Wolford and his ability to develop some of these guys, if you get the right players with the right mentality and the right approach in there, he can take them and turn them into very good football players. And I think that's what Alabama is trying to get back to. It doesn't have to be five stars across the board. It's we got a guy who can develop the three stars, the lower four stars. Let's bring those guys in with the right mentality, has the size that you're looking for, the different kind of build, and let's get this thing you know going again. Uh, just one last thing that I would say that the pass protection from last year to this year was enormously better. I mean, we went from, frankly, real bad, bad. And I'm talking about compared to the country. I'm talking about compared to the freaking American Athletic Conference. We went from bad to close to outstanding, you know, in pass protection. 42, Bryce sacked 42 times with his athleticism uh, a year ago, and, and now he sacked 10 times. I mean, great improvements in pass protection. Now, can we improve that much in the run blocking, which this year wasn't as bad as, as the biggest critics say? I mean, I still it, it really wasn't bad. You can't be three quarters of the way through the season and lead the nation in yards per carry and be bad. But I get that there were too many negative plays, too many plays for no gain, and an offensive line that didn't reestablish another offensive line. I mean, that, that's the best run block and there is, right? You, you start the, the play from your own 26, but really nothing happens until the 28-yard line because your offensive line has moved people off the ball and off the line of scrimmage. We don't have that. And what I'm hoping is, Clint, that, that Coach Wolford in year two makes the same leap that he made with the pass blocking in year one. And, and, and I think this turnover and personnel is a step in that direction. And that's what I'm uh, excited to see. Yeah, and that kind of follows along in line uh, for the most part with the next question. It's really more from a general team perspective. But TP underscore 1829 on Twitter asked, what does Alabama do to get their Alabama mojo back? The killer instinct to me just isn't there right now. Is it because we've gone spread and don't practice hard-nosed football anymore? Uh, 
I do think that this is a wise uh, Twitter person. <laughs> That's wise. I mean, I think the wisest of, of just my opinion, the wisest fans, they see that and understand that. I, I've said that for years, and I don't mean it as some insulting thing. I think uh, I won't go into the long thing that I, I post about all the time on the board, but there's a symbiotic relationship between offense and defense. And by that, it just simply means this. You are what you practice against. If the defense practices against uh, a spread, finesse, timing, uh, ev everything is done, uh, you know, you know uh, with, with the idea that we're going to fool you and have misdirection and, and we're going to toss it around and the run, we're going to use the throw game sort of as the run game. A lot of east-west, sideways, tunnel screens, bubble screens instead of just power run plays. I think if that's what you practice against every single day, you can't help but be a little soft to use the term that the critics love to use. You can't help it. That's that's what you see every day. Uh, but when you're offensively committed to the run game and you're like, we are a downhill running man to man, we will establish a new line of scrimmage. We'll knock you off the ball. Our wide receivers block like like tight ends. Hey, when you practice against that, you got to be tough. It toughens you up. And that's what I think to some extent Alabama has lost since there was a concerted effort once Tua came along that we're going to play up-tempo spread football. And, and we did, and it works. And we're probably the highest scoring team in football since 2018. If you add up all the seasons, I don't think anybody scored more points in Alabama in five years of football. It's worked perfectly on offense but there has been an effect on the defense in a negative way because of what I just explained. And also because the offense's possessions are so short. I mean, the, the offense now scores in a minute and a half. They'll drive the length of the field in a minute and a half, and you got to send the defense right back out there. Uh, that's happened at Alabama a lot since 2018, since sort of Tua took over. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, Golding, and I'm not defending it. People think this is a Pete Golding defense. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just stating what I think are, are just facts. The, the defense has had uh, a, a, an uphill battle a little bit. They've been dealt a rough hand by the poker dealer since 2018, too, because of what Alabama decided to do on offense. And people that disagree with me, fine, fine. But I just ask all of you that disagree, show me examples of teams that run an up-tempo spread offense exclusively who are really tough on defense. Send me the team that's number one in the nation in total offense, because that's what they do on offense, that's also number one in the nation on total defense. Please send me that. You might be able to find one. You might be able to find two, but you're going to hunt because they're the exception to the rule. Who, and uh, I love that question for that for that reason. Who, who's been the dominant team defensively over the last two years? Georgia. And how do they win on offense? Do they win they, through slinging the football around 50 times? Do they hammer the football down your throat with about three or four running backs and use a walk-on to play off of that and use two big, burly tight ends as their primary receivers? Do they have these 5'10", 5'11", receivers running all over the place? No, they've got two huge tight ends that, that they utilize both of them. One of them is one of the most dominant run-blocking tight ends in Darnell Washington in the entire country, and that's how they beat you. They play excellent defense, hard-nosed defense. They hammer the football at you, and they use everything off of that. And I'm not saying that's the correct way to go. Now, granted, 
in an era where everybody is trying to be Tennessee and and, and Alabama and, and Ole Miss, Georgia's the one that's about to be, you know, more than likely about to win back-to-back national championships playing that style of football. So maybe there's something to that. And what's interesting is maybe Alabama sees that. Maybe I, they they realize that maybe that's why they're targeting these guys who are 6'6", 350 pounds and 6'7", you know, 325 and all that stuff is they understand that is something. Everybody is designing their defenses to be able to get after the quarterback effectively, spread out, and what we're going to do is we're going to condense everybody and we're going to hammer the football at them. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen, but I am saying that, you know, with the with the way that their offensive line has looked and the way that they're recruiting certain guys, it might be the direction they end up going. I don't know, but I we, we what we have heard is that Alabama would like to get back to more of the RPO style of offense. Um, and I do think that with the current crop of receivers, I love Isaiah Bond. I love Kobe Prentice. I love Kendrick Law. I definitely love Malik Benson and how he'll fit into that style. These are the kind of receivers. And I still think there's there's um, use in having the Ja'Cory Brookses and the Jermaine Burtons of the world in that style of offense. I think the fact that Ja'Cory Brooks can win 50-50 balls downfield and it can bring a little bit of a red zone element and things like that, I believe that that is, is beneficial as well, and that will play a role in Alabama's offense. But you're getting a lot more back to when they had the four receivers, you know, the Judys, the Waddles, the the Smiths, and, and the Ruggs, in some of those other guys that I'd already mentioned. And I think, you know, with a Ty Simpson, if he ends up being, and really Jalen Milrow too, both are going to be very effective RPO-style quarterbacks. And it, it puts the, the defense in, in conflict a lot. And that's what I think that's what I think Alabama needs to get back to. And that kind of leads into our next question a little bit. Uh, that was a great question, by the way. I just think that, you know, it, it's a it's a difference in mentality. I think that Alabama right now, if you're not doing things the Alabama way, get out of the way is sort of the approach. But the next question comes from Hampton Sipper on Twitter, who always has great questions. He said, other than coordinator changes, what is the one thing you would like to see Alabama do in the offseason? It can be a portal addition, a schematic tweak, or overhaul, changes in the support staff, et cetera. You two are the best, but you already knew that. RTR, appreciate you. First of all, we appreciate the question. Uh, great question. Jimmy, what do you think about it? What a good question. Uh, I wonder if what Hampton, who's very bright, a uh, very bright guy, uh, I wonder if what Hampton's wanting us to say is, was he fishing for our opinion about strength conditioning? I, I don't have a strong opinion about it, really. I, I think there's some grass is greener stuff going on there in that conversation. Some some people on social media saying, oh, I liked it better we had Scott. What, what I remember is y'all complaining when we had Scott. That That's what I remember, uh, you know, that, that all the injuries were were because, you know, of, of Scott not being scientific in his approach. And, uh, you know, and th- then we lose a couple games and playing a lot of close games, and now it's because we're not old school like Scott. You know, um, because I I don't really have a strong opinion about that. We keep so much data because of the science part of it that if it's a problem, it's there in the data, you know, and I I think Coach Saban would know that. Uh, So so my answer wouldn't be strength conditioning related. Uh, I think we sort of answered it, like you said, in, in the last question. If there's a difference for me, Clint, I'm not saying get rid of the spread. No, I'm not saying get rid of up tempo. No. I think the best offenses are extremely multiple. They make you practice everything. They show you a lot of looks. 
but I want a general philosophy that gets back to a little bit more of uh, of what, what Saban used to call MTAQ, you know, make their ass quit. Uh, and because we haven't been that way since 2018 because of the style of offense. It wasn't the program decided, hey, we're going to stop being tough. The program said, hey, let's spread it out, throw it, and, 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 and we're going to we're going to run the same up-tempo stuff that gives us problems. Uh, that That's what, why I think there's been a decline in that. I, I wish we'd go back to what we were doing on offense maybe, you know, a few years ago. I, I just want a, a more of a concerted run-based RPO athletic quarterback. I still want to throw it 25, 30 times every week because I want high-level quarterbacks and I want high-level receivers. Uh, I'm not abandoning that at all. I just want to tweak to get back to a little bit more physical on the ground uh, and more passing kind of off play action uh, as a result of it. So that that's my, and I call it a tweak, not an overhaul. I don't want to go 95 Nebraska. I want to <laughs> just tweak it. Let's, let's get back to a little bit more of the physical ground game while still keeping some of these same principles that have helped us become so explosive offensively. Yes, I agree with you. And, you know, it, it, there's been more of an emphasis put on taking steps back rather than taking steps forward. And what I mean by that, I don't mean metaphorically, I mean literally. There's been a, a bigger emphasis been put on pass protection because they're throwing the football so often. It's all about how do you pass protect instead of how do you come downhill and move guys in the run game. And, you know, I think that there still is, you know, Ole Miss is one of those that, you know, with, with Matt Corral, they slung the football around a ton, but then they got Judkins in there. They got Zach Evans to transfer in. And this year they had one of the best rushing offenses in the SEC and in the country, really. And they found a way to be successful and then play quarterback off of that. That doesn't mean that your quarterback can't have a lot of attempts and a lot of success, but I, I think that where Lane Kiffin is taking Ole Miss's offense is kind of where you want to be. And it, when at a place like Alabama, you can take that, and as long as you've got a, a halfway capable play caller, you should be able to do that to an even better degree at a place like Alabama because you're going to have more talent available to you. And I think that Alabama certainly is moving in that direction as far as, and it's like I said, I think a lot comes down to, I don't think it's a coincidence that literally pretty much all of the offensive linemen, Formby is, is 6'7", 300, so from the actual size perspective, a lot of length, but he may, maybe doesn't have that just mass that some of the other guys have, but the other offensive line commits, they're all huge. They're all 340, you know, uh, McElderry, or however you say it, uh, I apologize that I, I butchered his name. You don't realize you can't say somebody's name until... Uh, you go to say it for the first, I've written it 300 times already, but I've never said it. And I think, I think you got it. Actually. Yeah. So, so Matt Derry, it's Matt yeah, yeah, he, he, he's only like six, two, six, three, but he's three forty. I mean, he's a really big guy uh, at that point. You're pretty much a box. But my point <laughs> is, is that moving guys in the run game, playing more physical, coming downhill, moving forward rather than being better and more effective moving back. Uh, is is the way to combat some of these issues that they've had, both offensively and, I agree with you, defensively. We talk about Alabama, we talk about ironing, sharpening iron, or iron sharpens iron, or however they've always put it. How are you supposed to be sharpened to be able to handle physical, run-heavy offenses like a Georgia when that's not what you're getting in practice? I mean, that you can't just randomly decide to switch it up and say, 
you know, today we're going to be super physical because that's what Georgia does. And that's what we're going to see on Saturday in the national champion or Monday in the national championship game. You can't, you can't switch it up on the fly like that. So yeah, I think that that's an excellent point, Jimmy. You know, I, I think probably the biggest thing that I want to see is just guys who take the lack of physicality, guys who take the lack of not playing up to the Alabama standard a lot more personally. I think that Alabama had a couple of those guys, but it's like Nick Saban said last year. It's not just about your leadership. It's about having the guys who are willing to buy into that leadership. But I also think you need some of those just really physically imposing players that are willing to enforce, hey, this isn't going to fly. And I mentioned something about, you know, I came across a video a couple of days ago in my Facebook memories uh, that's Isaiah Bugs, And there's a lot of, you know, Nick Saban's got the entire team on a knee and everybody's talking and cutting up and stuff. And Nick Saban's trying to get the team to quieten down. And, and Isaiah Buck stands up and he's like, everybody needs to shut up if you're not coach. Everybody's always got something to say. The only man that needs to be talking right now is coach. And everybody shut up. And that, I think, captures what Alabama needs more of is that type of presence that demands it. And, I, I mean, hearing him talk, it was like, hey, if you don't shut up, this will get what this will go wherever it needs to go. But you're gonna shut your mouth one way or the other. I think having that type of intimidating presence in the locker room is beneficial. You saw it with Jonathan Allen. You saw it with, you saw it with Ashawn Robinson. So I think getting more of that, um, just not accepting, not playing up to the Alabama standard, I think is the most important thing for everybody involved here. How do you get back there, and how do you take pride in your performance to where you know you can get back to that standard? Uh, next question on the list, right? It's actually a two-part, but it's all both about Ty Simpson. Alan Oliver asked, is it true that Ty Simpson isn't progressing into the prospect he was originally thought to be? And then Ethan asked, do y'all think Ty will get any significant reps in the bowl game? Okay. Uh, first of all, I just uh, – dis- I mean, uh, thanks for the question because it's one of my favorite subjects. I love talking about Ty. Uh, for the, those that, that know me know I work for – for QB country part-time and Ty's been training with QB country since he was like in the sixth grade, uh, at, at our QB country Memphis, uh, location and often in QB country mobile, to be honest, he's come to mobile a ton over the past seven years, uh, working with David Morris. But so I'm a big Ty fan period. And I would have been a Ty fan had he signed with anywhere else. Uh, but he, he plays for my favorite team, which is even, even better. Um, I just disagree with this notion. I've never even heard that from inside the program or outside it or around Ty that there that he hasn't progressed. As a matter of fact, what I've heard is completely the opposite of that, to be honest, that that particularly what happened, guys, is uh, and this is public stuff. This isn't scoop. I mean, this out, you know, for a month, Bryce couldn't practice for a month. He, he, and by that meaning, Bryce worked on strengthening his shoulder and getting through the shoulder by working with the training staff while the team practiced. That meant some of the time Bryce was throwing the football, but he's throwing the football indoors, inside, with the training staff because they're working on his shoulder. But the football team had to keep practicing. (laughs) We didn't stop practicing just because Bryce wasn't out there. Jalen Milrow uh, was the starting quarterback for Texas A&M week. And as we know, that didn't go great. I mean, he, he was fine. We won the game. I think people don't give enough credit for that. We won the game and beat Frankly, a pretty good team. We saw that they beat LSU at the end. Um, but after the AM game, and we weren't sure about Bryce's shoulder going forward, Ty started getting 
a lot of those first team reps because then the thinking began, well, if we had to keep playing Milrow and he doesn't play well, let's have another option. So Ty started getting a lot of reps after Texas A&M week. And my understanding is that Ty really made a lot of progress once, and it makes sense, right? Once you play with the ones and you really start to understand the scheme and play with the best players, he made a lot of progress. Milrow, from what I hear, also made progress too. But uh, I, I understand that Ty's been moving forward and leaps and bounds. Now, whether he's going to play in the bowl game is a three-part question. To me, it starts with, is Bryce going to play in the bowl? And we don't know the official answer. I think we all know what's coming, but we don't have an official answer there uh, until we do. I don't want to be too vociferous about what's going to happen because as of right now, the starting quarterback on the team is Bryce Young. You know, right? And if Bryce is going to play, there's no reason to play Ty. Bryce will probably play all four quarters in what's probably going to be a pretty close football game. Uh, now, if Bryce doesn't play, what do I think is going to happen? My best guess is Milrow will start the game because he's the number two quarterback. And if he plays great, maybe it's Milrow's game. But if Milrow comes in and is less than great, uh, then I think Ty will play uh, significant snaps or some snaps. But I think we'll see both kids unless Milrow for minute number one is just fantastic. Alabama's winning the game and we, and we, we don't want to, to, to risk changing things up and making a change because it's going so well with Milrow. Uh, but th th those are my thoughts. I don't think Ty redshirting is going to be a factor myself. Although one last thing I'll throw in is typically what happens guys and gals that listen to our show, typically what happens when you've already played in four games and if you're going to play in a fifth one that's going to blow the red shirt, there's a meeting between uh, by phone uh, with the coach and the player and the player's family to make sure everybody's on the same page because this is a kid's career we're talking about. And we don't want to do something that's against the family's wishes that mess with the kid's career. So there would be a phone call. Uh, Ty's dad is a college head football coach. He, he would have a, a more educated opinion about this than, than, than anyone out there. Uh, so I trust they'll make the right decision. My, my feeling is they're going to not not care about the red shirt and, and, and if if and, and be fine with Ty playing in the bowl game. Other than you know a kneel down garbage time. Hey, there's one minute left. Let's put in Ty and blow his red shirt with a minute left and go in there and kneel down a couple times. That would be frankly stupid. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that's going to happen at all. Uh, here, here's the thing that you got to think about with this whole situation: the quarterbacks. If Ty Simpson starts the bowl game, I wouldn't be shocked if Jalen Milrow didn't make it to spring. Yep. Uh, that That's the bottom line. And I think that that factors in here. Does that mean that if uh, Jalen Milrow starts and Ty Simpson doesn't play at all, that's why? Because they're worried about Jalen Milrow entering the transfer portal? No. But I do think that you make a huge statement. We've talked about this a little bit before. By putting Ty Simpson out there. Now, if he comes in, if Jalen Milrow is struggling and he comes in, or if you know they're, they're going ahead and getting ahead of this whole quarterback competition and there's a, an understanding going in, both you guys are going to get reps in this football game, then I think that's a different story. But if, if Ty Simpson starts this game because Bryce Young chooses to sit out or he plays a, a majority of the snaps, like they pull the, the plug on Jalen Milrow early, Ty Simpson comes in and he looks good, and the, the coaching staff says, you know what, we have planned to play both, you know, pretty evenly, but we're just going to stick with Ty. 
I think that a change is made, and I don't think Alabama wants that because everybody that's been hoping for Drake May or whoever else in the transfer portal, it we've talked about this as well. Unless there's the Caleb Williams caliber talent enter the portal, I don't think Alabama is really actively trying to go add somebody at that position. Now, granted, if they run into some depth issues because of Jalen Milrow decides to transfer or something, or, you know, Ty Simpson, for that matter, uh, either one, then I think maybe they would try to go entertain getting somebody. But at the same time, it might be a Gardner Minshew caliber player. He ended up being great at Washington State, but he was not viewed as a guy, hey, you're going to come in and compete for the job. This is a quarterback that you're telling them, hey, you're, you've entered the transfer portal because you're wanting more playing time, but will you be willing to come be our backup, you know, and not really play? So that it's, it's very tough quarterback position. So, you know, I think that the coaching staff wants to get to the spring, wants to have a quarterback competition then, or really push it maybe even throughout the summer into fall camp. And then, you know, more than likely, as unfortunate as it is, it could be a situation where they're, they get to that point, they not name, you know, a, a Ty Simpson the starter before the first game next year. And then it's like Milrow, you know, stick around, be the backup. You'll have opportunities you can transfer after this season or whatever. Or, you know, it's simply Milrow wins the job. I think either one is a very viable option right now. So that's something to keep in mind. I haven't heard anything negative about Ty Simpson. I think he's made some freshman mistakes in practice. Uh, I think that sometimes when you are a freshman and you are used to being Mr. Everything and being able to do everything when you struggle, you know, you got to learn to overcome those struggles. I think that that's something that any young player goes through and deals with. Ty Simpson's no different. There's no concern here. He is, from everything that I've heard, on track to be the player that we all thought he was going to be. But remember, Bryce Young set his freshman year, too. And he didn't look great when he did come in in some of those games. And he turned out to be the first ever Heisman Trophy winner, winning quarterback for Alabama. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. We ran a little bit long on some of these answers. Uh, we'll have to get some questions next week. Uh, we'll probably do one early, but we're running short on time today. So, Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, and we will talk again soon.